0: This is The Mystical Positivist, a radio show dedicated to the application of reason in the pursuit of spiritual practice and development. It consists of commentary, book reviews, interviews, and discussion in and around the local and larger spiritual community. The thesis of the show is that rationality is in no way the antithesis of deep mystical experience. In fact, we assert that it is a necessary ally. I'm your host, Stuart Goodnick. Joining me in the following presentation is my co-host, Dr. Robert Schmidt. Rob is the director of Taya Meditation Center and founder with myself of Many Rivers Books and Tea in Sebastopol, California. This week on the show, we feature a pre recorded conversation with Terry Atona, author of the newly published book, Rodney Collin A Man Who Wished to Do Something with His Life, from Karnak Press. Rodney Collin, a key figure in the history of esoteric thought and the Fourth Way tradition, is best known for his seminal works, The Theory of Celestial Influence and the theory of eternal life. This groundbreaking biography provides a wealth of information including Colin's close relation to Peter Ouspensky and a detailed account of the events leading up to Ouspensky's death. The book goes on to describe the years that followed for Colin, his group activities in Mexico, his search for historical traces of the work, and his mysterious death in Cusco, Peru at the young age of 47. Tadeo Tone came in contact with Gurdjieff's ideas in the early 1970s. Together with his wife, he has led a group in Oslo for 35 years. He has had a long and close relationship with Professor Meredith Thring, George Cornelius, and Joyce Colin Smith. He is the author of The Gurdjieff Puzzle Now and Ver sich verliert der Findet sich. Tone is a retired conservator with expertise in fire-damaged paintings tonna, welcome to the Mystical Positivist. Thank you. we're glad We're really glad to have you,
1: and um, we were very uh, I, I very much enjoyed reading reading your Rodney Collin book. It uh, revealed a lot of really interesting material, and I hope that in our conversation with you, we can uh, uh, plumb those depths uh, further for our audience. So, um, but we always have a question for first-time guests. And that is to invite you to um, reflect back on your own personal youth and uh, uh, adolescence and um, tell our audience anything that uh, comes up about how, looking back, you might point to your own developing interest and commitment to fourth-way practice.
2: Hmm.
1: So so anything that comes up in that regard, um, I, we'd appreciate hearing.
2: Hmm.
3: Well, uh, there is one thing that stands out um, in my life. And uh, until I met the work, Um, I didn't really understand what it was, Um, to be precise. It was a Sunday afternoon uh, in a park in Oslo. And I guess I must have been seven years old, maybe eight, but I think seven. And um, the day was uh, uh, grey. I remember it very vividly. And then there was a moment where everything changed. I didn't know what was happening, Um, but I didn't use the words, but looking back on it, I, I... It was definitely an experience that that took very serious. I did not get afraid. Of course, looking at it, looking back at it, it was a moment of presence. Hmm. And um, another curious thing uh, that I don't understand and still don't understand it was that I knew that I was not going to talk to anybody about this Mm -hmm. that was very, very, it was like a command Um, and uh, I kept my word until uh, I realized that this was connected with self-remembering, um, and uh, I, I guess in the somewhere in the early eighties, at uh, group meetings, I I, I opened up and, and talked about this. And from where does something like that occur in a human being?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Very strange.
0: Also, very interesting that you remember that so lucidly. That moment is 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 as clear as it as if it happened yesterday.
3: Yes, and I I have been puzzled by this. Can it be real that I remember it so clearly? That it was a Sunday, <laughs> you know.
0: So, oh, thank you, so did that um experience act as a factor ultimately in your yearning for something yeah uh, and so that was that question was always there
3: yes it 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 was always with me in one way or another. it was like something I returned to um and, um, later when I came across the work, um, I, I see various connections. But, um, yes, mm. during my, my youth, I think an experience like that also uh, made uh, the interest for, um, religion and philosophy, it nourished it somehow. I'm quite sure about that. I cannot point to anything except that I feel that to be true.
0: Mm -hmm. So,
1: well, I was just going to uh, ask you to elaborate then with the with the influence that you just described of this early experience on your life, um, was it only when you um, encountered the fourth way that you began to find perhaps a context or answers that could help you to begin to understand how that how that experience was important for you.
3: No, it was, there were moments and, and um, there were moments where there was a connection uh, with the interest for philosophy and religion. Um, I can remember, for example, um, a, a very strong interest in Meister Eckhart. Ah, and Maester, when when Eckhart wrote Eastigkeit uh, uh, to be, that connected with that experience. Mm. And um but it was of course without the word, this interest was although it was coming from deep within it was fragmentary. It was a bit here and a bit there, Mm. you know, seeking and searching. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in the late 60s, there was this uh, Norwegian painter who I I often spoke with. And on one occasion, uh, during our conversation, he spoke, he, he uh, asked me, have you been reading Gurdjieff? And I never heard about Gurdjieff. And I said, no. Well, you've been reading Uspensky then? He said, no. I never heard about it. Then uh, in the early 70s, I went to London to study. I came across in a secondhand bookstore a book called In Search of the Miraculous. And then I recognized his name, Uspensky. And I thought, and I always wondered why this guy had asked me this question. So I'm going to buy this book and read and find out all about it. So I bought the book and coming. Uh, I have definitely not read the half of the book before I knew this is it. This is what I've always been looking for. And since then and until today, there is a red line.
1: Thank you. you. Did you uh, immediately search for uh, a school to connect with or did did that take a little time?
3: No. um, When I was living in London, I had the idea that this was something with these groups and things that that was something that was um, belonging to the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, when I was in London, I, I didn't and reading, I I didn't connect with any group. The strange thing is that I, in the area where I lived in Hampstead, in Hampstead Village. Um, I, fa- I have found out later, just around the corner uh, where uh, the house of, of uh, uh, both Beryl Pogson mm-hmm. and Maurice Nicole had lived there, mm-hmm. you know, within a few minutes. And uh, Orange lived in Whale of Health, which was a- across the Road from where I lived. So now and then, later, I've, I've been thinking that I was in the right place at the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, recurrence and things. You
2: know. yes. but, uh,
3: anyway, uh, that was a rather strange thing. Yes.
0: So When did you uh, first connect with uh, groups of other people involved in the Fourth Way?
3: uh, The regular work started in the late seventies. Yes.
0: And was that was that in uh, Norway or was that in um, uh, London?
3: No, that was in in uh, uh, Norway and Sweden. There was a, a, a man in uh, living in Sweden who had been in contact with uh, some people in America and they created a group and um, we were a part of that uh, for uh, around six years before I realized that if this is not... Um, According to hmm. neither Gerdia or Uspensky,
1: to put it very short. Hmm. So you jumped. So you jumped ship and presumably found your way elsewhere.
3: Yes, yes. And then later, well, I
1: was uh,
3: lucky to be in contact with uh, both George Cornelius. Mm. You probably you know about the, the man that Georgiev called Amer- the American. Mm. And also with the Professor uh, Tring, mm. Merit Tring. Mm-hmm. And, of course, also Joyce uh, Colin Smith, which was a very good friend of mine for, for a very long time. So I was in good hands, yeah.
0: Thank you well thank you and just just for our um audience's sake you know uh for the last many years you you've been leading a group in the uh um i think the Oslo and north of Oslo and have just been an active part of the uh the the work presence in norway as well as as well as elsewhere
3: yes well we've been we have had this group now for I don't know uh, what is it 30, at least thirty five years hmm. and now we have also a group of people small group of people in Sweden who is also joining us
0: thank you well we are one of the main topics of this conversation is a Biography that you've written called Rodney Collin: A Man Who Wished to Do Something with His Life, and it's quite a groundbreaking book for a number of reasons. Uh, uh, one of which is in the fourth way canon, it's something of an unlikely subject, um, and the depth and the treatment and and some of the personal uh, history that you relate, I think, has been. Not really available uh, publicly, at least for um, uh, uh, ever, you know. So this, the, there's quite a lot of new material here. But I, you know, before we get into the the book and Rodney Cohen, I'm just interested in how how it was. What drew you to Rodney Cohen as a subject um, uh, for this? And, you know, what what was your process for coming to realize this would be an important contribution to the uh, work literature?
3: Well, it's rather a long story. I I make it uh, very short. Um, First of all, Rodney Collin has, uh, for me, uh, been uh, very special because he speaks directly to, to the heart, to my heart. Um, and I always felt uh, that that was a person that I could trust.
2: Hmm.
3: Now, and, and I had a very a peculiar uh, experience. I was um, laying on the sofa after coming home from work, and then suddenly there was this um, experience of, of, of having a, somehow a connection with Rodney Collin. And I didn't understand this, um, and I still don't, but it was a very, a very powerful experience. Uh, It was not uh, a a consequence of some kind of association. It was an experience which was, which that hit me like a ton of lead.
2: Hmm.
3: I wanted, uh, I I considered to write this in the foreword, but um, I hesitated because it, it, I realised that it might sound a little melodramatic so I, I just left it, but anyway, this happened, and um it, it wouldn't go away hmm. that there was a, a connection with what they the next day I went to a bookstore uh to check if um uh what kind of workbooks which is available which is a part of was a part of my, my responsibility to, to to ask them to order new books and so on. Um, and then I came across a book called Call No Man Master and I saw a picture of Rodney Colin and I realized that the name Colin Smith and then she was in family with him. So I went back to my workshop and um, I phoned the the, um, the, um, those who made the book and the, the publisher they wouldn't give me her telephone number then I found out um, through the yellow pages and when I phoned her uh, I told her the story of, of, of my experience uh, last night and she became very quiet, and she said, uh, come over. Hmm. So I, within a few days, I, I, I was in in England, in the countryside where she was living. And um, she thought it was... She didn't think it was uh, anything strange with my experience. <laughs> you know... Uh, she probably understood it better than I do now. So anyway, we that's how we connected. Mm. And it became a, a long relationship. And uh, before she died, she um, she gave me the, the paper she has from Rodney Collins. She had it under. the in the attic and she said um, I knew these papers after Rodney Colling was going somewhere but to Norway (laughs) (laughs) that that wasn't something that she had seen anyway some of the material uh, has been used in this book and I realized fairly quickly that I was sitting on material that could clarify a lot of things, not least all the rumors around Uspensky and uh, misinterpretations of who he was, his level of being, etc., etc. So I had really no choice to
1: not write this book,
3: having all this
1: material. Yeah. So, so did you feel, I mean, when you say you had no choice, it, I assume by that you mean that you felt a responsibility to share, um, to share this, to clarify for people who um, might have, might have had their view changed about Spensky. Is that right? Is that right?
3: Yeah, I, I didn't want to change their views, but I wanted to to uh, fill in the gaps, which had uh, been the the breeding ground for all kinds of speculations.
0: So, I,
1: hmm. I see.
0: So, um, may, maybe at this point, it would be appropriate to just with a, a brief outline frame. Who Colin was in the uh, work you know uh, you know where he where he figures before we really get more into detail about uh, especially this relationship he had with Ospensky at the end of Ospensky's life
3: yeah well I think to most people who are familiar with the work he they, they recognize him as um, a, a person uh, the, the person that was closest Closely related to to Uspensky, and of course that he has written um, theory of celestial influence. Um, but um, here also, in certain circles, um, they have um, fed the idea that uh, he lost his way and jumped out from a church tower. You know, um, <laughs> it just adds to all the rumors and slander. Yeah. Um, yes. So that, that's um, and today, um, well, I don't know. Maybe he has been a little pushed aside. Not looked upon as irrelevant or I don't know. That's my impression in that in certain circles he seems unrelevant. And um from my perspective, after studying his material, particularly his contribution to a a larger view, material, celestial influence. It's uh, it's ignorance to not uh, that that has kept him as an outsider in a way.
2: Mm.
3: Not what he has done. There, it has been, for example, pointed out that he made he wasn't qualified then to, to make those assumptions and write these theories that he has made mathematical faults. Uh, now, as you probably read in, in uh, remember after reading the book, one of these uh, mistakes uh, has nothing to do with him it has been printed over and over again, lo- lately in the Shambhala edition. Wrong uh, wrong figures on, on his um, um, what do you call it? The, 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 the plates. mm
2: mm-hmm.
3: So a lot so- of speculation.
1: Yeah. So you, uh, um, you know, it sounds like this connection that you that you described having, um, which you equivocated about putting in the book itself to to locate your connection. This the the connection you had, nevertheless, was was a very powerful influence on you, and and then you and then you became the uh, the holder of this treasure trove of documentary evidence which um produced in the first half of 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 your biography a uh, an incredible narrative i think it's fair to say about how Collins' early life proceeded. By the way, it, it was very interesting uh, that you put in some uh, quotes from his early work, well before he had anything to do with the Fourth Way, demonstrating his talent as 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 a writer. And and I appreciated that because it's um, it demonstrates a, a kind of uh, capacity that he had. From a from quite an early age, to uh, to express himself, and describe events and uh, and and uh, contexts that um, that relatively few people at his at his then age could have could have accomplished. That was interesting,
2: mm.
1: as a as a sort of a, a preview of where he could then go, having having found, um, his connection to the work. So, um, so how would you summarize his beginning for our audience? How would you summarize his, uh, his, um, introduction to the fourth way is, um, and his developing connection with the Spensky and his work?
3: Yeah, well, uh, uh, Joyce told me that um, uh, he, from a very early age, had this question, who am I? So that that has been with him, obviously, for a long time. And that kind of perspective makes it... uh, Possible to, to see that the insight that he revealed in, in Palms and Patios, uh, his, his first book when he was about 17, 18 years old, the perspectives he had there was somehow connected with this seriousness, the serious attitude he had to life. Having this question who am I? um of course he he uh, was uh, involved with um, various uh, uh clubs and directions that helped people i think it had to do with um some kind of charity.
2: Mm-hmm. He
3: was in, in charity long before he met Uspensky. And it was also there where he met his wife. And his wife was uh, a friend of Robert E. Rupp. And Robert E. Rupp had then already met Uspensky. Um, and they went to his wife and Rodney went to, uh, I think, in, in London, in finnishly Road, one of these meetings that that um, Maurice Nicole had, introductory meetings to the work. Mm-hmm. And um, what has puzzled me was that although... He became so closely related to Spensky and had this um, uh, had this um, uh, original foothold um, on serious questions from childhood, who am I? He 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 realized that he was not ready for Ruspevsky. That I find that a bit strange. That he needed some time to to make the connection. Of course, it it, it didn't take very long time, but it, it puzzled me that that he didn't connect directly. Anyway,
1: well, I'll just relate a personal experience. So. Um, When I was 20 years old, I happened to go to a bookstore uh, in Palo Alto, California, um, which was, you know, in the vicinity, but not immediately near where I happened to be living at the time. And there were these there was a strange book section and towards the back of the store where um, all and everything and uh, um, other fourth way books were located. And I and I remember feeling a kind of magnetic attraction to the books. I picked them up, but I but somehow I knew I had the I had the feeling that I couldn't open them yet. And then but I think that's the way the way it often works. I th- I don't think it's unrelated entirely to the to the experience you describe about your con- your own personal connection to uh Mr. Collin. So um so I, I don't, you know, it's there. These things are rarely spoken of this sort of, this sort of um, intuition, if you will. But I don't think it's something to ignore. And, and I didn't ignore it. I followed it. <laughs> I put the book down, went out and uh, uh, then met uh, the man who is my teacher about four years later. And that's, that's when, Things changed for me. So, I, I, I do invite you to, to though continue on uh, uh, with with the narrative of how uh, uh, the two of them came together, Colin and yes. Uspensky.
3: Well, the, the, he uh, when he met Uspensky, he he presented himself. He has been working as a journalist a, a long time. Uh, and uh, a, a, a writer. So he presented himself uh, as a writer so that uh, if he could contribute as a writer, Lord um, Kolding thought that would be good. And then Uspensky said to him that, uh, that uh, we will find something for you to write later, but at the moment, better not get too involved. And uh, of course, when when um, Ronny Collin wrote the theory of celestial influence, he felt that to be to, to that that uh, Uspensky held his word because he couldn't have written. Work without space, and he probably felt like that. Also, I would think when he was writing *Theory of Eternal Life*. Hmm. Joyce told me that that Rodney said that because she she asked, "How could you think like that?" How can a person think in in those realms and ways? And Rodney told her it was that he also was puzzled by what he has written and he said that it was like a vision.
1: Hmm. That's interesting.
3: Yes. That's what she told me. Hmm. It was a vision.
1: so well I'll, I, I will just um comment what 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 that last comment of yours terry uh, suggests to me is a continuation of these uh you know i'll call i'll call the experience of my own that i just related and your own um laying on the sofa
2: hmm.
1: um as as a kind of visitation from something higher and yeah. And um, um, and this comment that Joyce related uh, to you sounds like uh, uh, Colin's own sense of something similar that that was coming through him um, in a way that um, that he didn't initiate, perhaps entirely. I'm not saying he didn't take responsibility for his work. I'm just saying that that there are there are um influences that we that we have to take seriously and yeah. and and eventually in your book you the the dramatic events that took place as espensky neared uh, his death um had the feeling to me of having of of both colin and and presumably Ospensky and uh, um and other people around at the time as having a a uh, almost preternatural uh, significance mm-hmm. and 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 perhaps you'll comment on that and and uh, um make any um inferences about your your conclusions about this.
3: Uh, are we are we talking about the last part uh, of, of Spensky's slide
0: yes yeah. yes yeah that, and, and and i just want to say for our listeners that that's one of the the most both dramatic gripping startling revelatory portions of the book because as you say you're laying out material that really no one's had access to, that That the narrative, the, the, the common narrative that I was familiar with, the Vospensky's death, painted this rather meager portrait of uh, a failed search and a, uh, a sort of a, a of a loss of confidence in, in the work. And what you put forth is that his death was anything but that, but actually a very profound and powerful uh, uh, demonstration of the work in action.
3: Yes, I, I agree, absolutely. Um, you know, the, uh, in order to be able to to follow up on um, uh, Uspensky's um, inner game at that, in that part of his life.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: You had to be prepared. And he started to prepare people um, more than those who were, uh, ended up being the very narrow circle of four or five people, you know. Uh, People were invited, and um, they... um, those who didn't show up, um, they, were, they were never invited again. So he, he started to prepare people. And um, it is particularly uh, with, with Rodney Collin, how he prepared him, because at the end of, of the, his life, the last year <clears throat> or, um, he was he had got uh, to a level of sensitivity where he <clears throat> could by just one word know what to do and i given quite a few examples in the book and um, where uh, Uspensky would utter one word, for example, "We can go there now," and Colley um, knew exactly where to go, who to see, and so on. So, in order to 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 enable the the, the people in the closest circle to relate to him, he had started this. Um, Sorting out of people and training um, uh, long before he died. But definitely at the point where he knew he was going to die. So he knew that he needed to intensify things. You know, at the end of his life, he, he, his, his word was um, aim and he kept repeating this word aim. and um, if you were not prepared you would think that the man was demented or he was crazy or something like that but those who were trained and was a part have been a part of this training they 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 knew right away uh, how to respond to him and nobody was so sensitive as, um, as uh, Rodney Cullen, obviously. So it was a, a long introduction to, to be able to gain that kind of um, sensitivity.
1: Well, um, it also, in um, reflecting on While I was reading uh, that part of the book, it also there was a lot of resonance with my own teachers passing and and the method thereof. And that's why it it struck me so um, powerfully
2: um,
1: that when. When the body begins to fail, often. um, Expression becomes uh, more intense and yeah. and the creation of context becomes really powerful or really um prominent i guess and and obviously powerful to those who have been willing to enter the context and and be touched by it at a at a deep level and and i wonder if you would agree with me that 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 is um that is where the sensitivity um emerges.
3: Yes. Uh, definitely. You you said willing to I would add able also.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes.
3: Yes. The, the, the I think Dr. Rawls, to put this in this context, I think Dr. Rawls, who was a very faithful servant, mm-hmm.
2: uh,
3: uh at the for a long time in Uspensky's life, uh, all the way up to his death, he was not, in, from my point of view, he was not able to to connect with the, what was going on there.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: He was a kind of an outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is also this short passage where. Where um, Uspensky um, said to Rodney Colin in regards to Doctor Rose, he said, He is no good anyway. Um, So he was uh, very faithful. And uh, very capable of organizing things, but um, Uspensky realized obviously that he didn't have what it takes to 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 continue and contribute to what was going on. And Uspensky was also looking forward, you know, how to continue this. Beyond the traps of falling into a, a, a dead system, you know. I, he said, I abandoned the system, and this woman who was with him was crying, and she said, "Did you say abandon?" And Luspensky said, "Yes, uh, I, I said abandon, not destroy." Mm-hmm. Um, so he was very concerned about the the the, the work not fossilizing.
2: Mm-hmm. He
3: could see that it was fossilizing. Mm-hmm. And and we in our generation can bear witness to various kinds of uh, fulfillment so his fear, you know.
0: Right. <clears throat> And I think well, uh, in talking about Collin's next phase of work, I think uh we'll get into that at this at this point, though, in this context around Ospinsky's last days and the small group of people around them, you do describe Colin as being uh distinct in the degree to which he could he could enter into that context his understanding of that context, and then what would appear, you know, from a casual outside observer is him being as crazy as Ospinski (laughs) in the last uh, few days before Ospinski's death. So perhaps you could talk a little bit about what happened to Colin in that point, because that that seems like this incredible transformational moment for him.
3: Yeah, well, he had been already... Uh, 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 a very strong separation from Rodney Collin. He knew he was not Rodney Colin. His identity was um, beyond that. He even, I can remember uh, that he even asked his wife to remarry him. Because he was a different person <laughs> and the and the chapter in the trip to Madame, if you remember, where he was in that state had changed and Madame Uspensky and the people opening the door when he came to America they they saw uh, Rodney Collin, and he knew that they they didn't see him because he was no longer Rodney Collin.
0: So um I, I should just point out that, that that's a very uh interesting chapter. Uh just prior to Ospinsky's death, spontaneously Colin goes to see Madame Ospinsky, who is essentially holding court in America as uh uh and very decidedly did, configured herself as a student of Gurdjieff and not a student of Ospinsky. She was she was a fellow traveler with Ospinsky, but she she had a quite, quite a court of people around her. And when Colin presented himself to her with a, essentially a message and a uh, imperative to connect,
2: Mm.
0: it was difficult for her not to see him as Rodney Colin, the person. And uh, it was, it was a very interesting demonstration of something going on with Colin that uh, not even uh, well-practiced uh, uh, presences in the work could quite detect.
2: Hmm.
3: Well, she might have been quite puzzled at the end of their conversation when when he's told her that <clears throat> she should come, and she her answer was that she couldn't come. She she was very sick, and she counted her. Days, uh, she counted her uh, time left to live in days, not weeks. That was how she expressed it. And then Rodney Collins said, um, no, not this time, next time. And then she took him serious. She must have done, because she said something like... um, Nobody comes between me and Uspensky in these matters. And she was obviously referring to recurrence. And before Rodney Collin went away, he turned to her in the door and he, he said, bless you anyway. I think that wonderful, but he was he was um, in such a bewildered bewildered state as I try to to, to to show in the book because he knew that he was not longer Rodney Collin, but but he he had he He had a different identity, but it was it seems to me that there was some kind of immaturity in that identity so he could not relate to things in the outer world mm. you know when he was going to going to America to meet Madame. Uh, his wife had to help him with uh, all practical things because she re- recognized that he was like a six, seven-year-old child-like because he, he couldn't relate to, to the outer world in an in, um, ordinary way. personality was obviously stripped away or parts of it, large parts of it.
1: Well, there you... It, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead.
3: Oh, no, no, I'm finished. Yes.
1: Well, I, I was just going to say that um, that stripping away of personality was one of the effects of the context that Ospensky had created um, around him, as, as you relate in the book.
0: And, yeah. and the intensity with which Colin himself Threw himself into that context, right? Because others, others, as you mentioned, were impacted, but not to the radical degree that Colin was.
3: No, and this, as I see this, it was because Uspensky trusted him. He trusted him. And uh, he probably also knew that um, he that Rodney called in, where to 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 write both uh, eternal life and, and theory of uh, celestial influence, hmm. and work from a, a new a, a new place beyond the words, beyond the concepts, you know. Wyspensky kept going, what do you want? What is it that you want? You have to come back to that. When people asked him all kinds of questions. Uh, and I can remember that Dr. Rose <clears throat> asked him, how are we going to do this? And how are we going to do that when you die? You know. And um, Uspensky waved him away. And then there was this woman who said, who was one of the close circle, and she said, I think it is better to just sit and understand instead
1: of ask questions. Well, I think that's the uh, expression of the intuition that that there's more than just words um, present.
3: Absolutely. It, you know, the, what you call it, this uh, transmission of information uh, without words. It, it was a common thing in in this this period.
2: Yes. Yes. Hmm
3: within the, this closed circle.
0: And in the days before Ospinski himself died physically, Colin locked himself in a room mm. and and hardly ate anything. And we don't know precisely what he was doing in that room. We just know that he Emerged from that uh, yet again different than when he went in. Well, but there was also a list of
1: list of his um, um, program. Yes, yes. And
3: that, that's the, the the common thing before this book. It was that he locked himself up in that room and nobody knew what was going on. Well, in the book, I revealed what was in the room, what kind of exercises he'd been, right. when he did, it, and goes into the details until the moment when people started knocking on the door. Uh, until now, they have all, <laughs> has only known that, that uh, uh, when somebody wanted to raise this ladder up to the window, he pushed the ladder away. Yeah. And uh, adds to the dramatic uh, speculations around this crazy man. But I, uh, I put in, uh, not all, but I put in enough details of what was going on in that room. Why he uh, locked himself up uh, so that the transmission could unhindered hmm. go from Uspensky to Rodney Collin and there was a, it wasn't a monologue it was a dialogue I'm quite sure
2: yeah
3: some of some of the experiences he had with some of the exercises that he did points that this was not a monologue, it was a dialogue. Um, but of course um, just knowing that this man is dying in the room beside and there is this man um, who just locked himself up Uh, great material for all kinds of speculations
1: well and dismissals
0: absolutely absolutely yeah. So after Ospinsky died and Colin effectively emerged in a new new way, new context, one of the things that struck me was for most people associated with Ospinsky madame Ospinsky counseled everyone now you must go see Gurdjieff in Paris oh. and uh quite a number of people uh who were in Ospinsky's orbit did did that but Colin did not no. and and it was and it was an interesting um uh interesting demonstration uh, uh I, I wonder if you could speak about how you how you see that um uh, that statement without a statement.
3: Yeah. But, you know, the, most of the people that went to Spensky's followers, um, Dr. Walker and, and many others, the, they had this question, what are we going to do now? Now, Rodney Colin didn't have that question. Uh-huh. You know the, the answer to that. This is how simple I say it. He didn't have. He knew what he was going to do because he had followed the instruction, and he understood the the instruction, and therefore followed it. So he went into his own heart and he asked himself, "What do I want?" And then he be- obviously became quiet enough to hear that voice. That's why he never asked for any help. He wasn't a man who did not need help uh, or would not ask for it when he needed it, but he would not ask for help if he didn't need it.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because this is, uh, in one sense, a small detail, and yet it seems like such a pivotal thing because in the narrative of ospinski and gurdjieff because in the 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 common narrative certainly the one that i inherited in the work was uh you know ospinski was a failed teacher what he had was incomplete at his death the people who were locked in his orbit finally you know saw the light and went to see gurdjieff the true teacher and what you demonstrate with the story about Colin is something entirely different. That there there was uh, a teaching, a transformational function going on that was arguably different than what uh, was happening in in, uh, Gertrude's orbit. But for those who could enter that context, it was every bit as transformational. And Colin, as you say, There's two things. And one is he may not have the question, but there's the other thing, which is to make a pilgrimage like that is to identify with the idea that the teaching you received was incomplete, which many people did. Uh, And for him, it seemed like it not only was complete, but he had a new mission with that completeness to move beyond where it had been.
3: Yes, I follow you, yeah. um, I think that it is possible that uh, a, a teaching can be um, incomplete. But, and, and therefore, um, it's necessary to, 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 to find what is kind of missing. But I think that when a human being is able to go as deep as Collin did, <clears throat> that missing part in the teaching or outer world and so on, traditions and so on, if you could go as deep as he did, you will find the answer because the answer is within you. The, the, the need for a teaching and a system is there, aside from my perspective, is there in order to get you back on the track which leads to your own inner world. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, Rodney Collin, he had a, a direct line inwards from where he could work
1: and I think it's it's um, I mean my own view I mean it, it would be a, a, a corollary to your to what you've just expressed um, uh, because it's not the teaching it's the person and this connection to the inner world that you're that, that you're pointing to. So that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> well I'm just saying it in a slightly different way, not better, that's for sure, <laughs> than what you said. But um but I think sometimes people lock onto ideas as um more than they more than they really uh, giving them more gravity than the, than they ought to,
2: um,
1: or at least, it, it's not it, it's not that um, ideas and practices are useless by any means, but having having um, use them as they are as they are meant to be used, than um, than to blindly follow an injunction. That is no longer necessary. That's what I'm hearing you say here, and I agree with you. Then it, that's just silly. It's a, it's not just a waste of time. It, it it actually would be a negation. It would have been for uh, uh, Colin in this in this particular case a negation of what had happened for him and to him, and um, well. in his own uh, as a product of. Both his own efforts and the context that his teacher created for him to um to have pretended that that what he had done didn't happen and and that negation would <laughs> would have been um as inauthentic as any as any mechanical um, activity of of people that. I mean, you suggested that Dr. Rose is would be an example of of that sort of thing. So, um, so authenticity is hard one, and um, and is a, provides promptings that do not rest upon, the training; they rest upon the inner um, opening.
2: Yeah.
3: To- the approach, the attitude, the quality of the attitude, the quality of the
2: approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that uh, I think that, to example, uh, Doctor Rawls, I think it would be a. a a great thing if he went to Gurdjieff. I think he would have benefited from that. I'm not saying that he did not benefit from where he went, but I think he would have benefited from this, but he wouldn't go because of some kind of principle that that, the that they were not allowed to use the name of Gurdjieff and all that. Some kind of principle, he wouldn't go. <laughs> well, if you have that kind of principle, well, you have to pay a different price.
0: Yeah. Right. That, that That's an interesting point, because uh, when I spoke a few moments ago about the alternative uh, reason for not seeing Gurdjieff, uh, you're describing a little bit more that you can make that decision out of pride, uh, and or in Colin's case, it's pretty clear he made that decision. He did. It, I don't even think the decision occurred. It wasn't a decision. It was just like he was moving where he where he was called to move, and that wasn't the direction he was called to move.
3: Yes, I think that I think that's right. Absolutely.
0: So uh, one of the elements in this transition after uh, Ospensky's death, that again, I think serves as a powerful counter narrative to the conventional stories surrounding Ospensky and his work is the focus that Colin had on a new beginning for the work. And, the way I, I I read that, you know, the, m- much has been made historically in fourth-way circles of Ospinsky on his deathbed saying there is no system uh, and all the ways that that's been misinterpreted. And that was always seen as a repudiation of his over-intellectualized system. And in the narrative about Colin, what you demonstrate is, here's a true student of Ospensky who took that message not to mean, as you said a few minutes ago, to destroy the system, but just that the system has to evolve or the work has to find itself in new expressions in order to be vital and to be alive. And Colin's subsequent work, Ultimately, in Mexico, seemed to be a demonstration of making the making the uh, work alive in a different guise, and that was in part part of what was his mission, as he saw.
3: it. Yes, yes. I just wanted to to uh, to read a short passage here. Please, all right. Yes,
2: please, please. do
3: this is about what uh, this reconstruction came to mean to to, to Romy Collin. Abandoning old forms, penetrating to the truth which lay behind those forms, and creating new forms for that truth, which in their turn one day must be abandoned also, Abandoning and recreating seems to me the only way of keeping alive the hidden connection which lay behind the system. If one clings to the old, it fossilizes, and oneself inside. The idea of reconstruction seems to be endless,
1: so, so let me ask you about that because, um, one of the questions that occurred to me and, uh, 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 most pertinently, pertinently, um, in the book is this idea of recurrence that you mentioned earlier in this conversation. And it seems to me that what the passage you just read, um, of Collins, um, is something that Speaks to how we might begin to understand this idea of recurrence, which figures prominently uh, in the book. So, so could you talk more about about <clears throat> how that word is used? Because I, I don't know if you agree that the passage you just read is relevant to that, but but that's my sense of it.
3: Well, it can. I, I see it more as a possible springboard, <laughs> and uh, okay. but I think that what he is, what he is pointing to, at least how I see it, is that um, um, our, our attitude towards uh, what is laying right in front of us uh, cannot rely on any dogma or any ready-made behavior uh, Mm -hmm. or anything like that. Um, One has to exist and have the experience of being somewhere and then from there um, relate. And of course, when you exist, the moment is uh, absolutely new. So there is the, you're a part of this this renewal, and I come to see this mm-hmm. from my personal experience
2: mm-hmm.
3: that the the, the 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 experience of the moment is is leaving the the linear idea. It is more like this moment is not past, it's just expanding mm. it's an expanding thing from It come, become more and more like that for me um, it's not like you start a meeting and then then the meeting is uh, and I'm in the middle of the meeting and i and I think with my head that this meeting is coming to an end. It's I have more and more the experience of of one moment just expanding the whole time, and um, this uh, linear perspective, which of course is based on how our senses operates. Yeah, because I can only smell this uh, thing which is in my glass with my nose now. So we are sort of, through our senses, bound to to a linear way of thinking. Now, how how am I going to understand that in recurrence, I'm looking forward at my past? Well, it's impossible to understand that as long as I keep this... uh, linear perspective and thinking linear perspective um, and then there is this um, the, the at that line at that line from you know before now and, and in that linear perspective there is a dot. Now is a dot. And uh, Uspensky, he draw a line, what you say, perpendicular? mm mm-hmm. yes. yes. And that's a different dimension. And... Um, As far as I understood, Dospensky, he was when he was in America before he came to to uh, England to die. Mm-hmm. He was when he was in the kitchen. He was having. Uh, he was able to go out of this linear time and into different times through this perpendicular dimension. Of uh, now.
1: Well, one other thing that came into my mind when I was reading uh, your book, uh, directly in reference to this idea of the horizontal linear time and the perpendicular other, is that um, usually in the uh, uh, re- readings of the perpendicular line. In the fourth way, is a connection to that which is higher, which is a perfectly a perfectly understandable and reasonable interpretation to focus on. But Absolutely. but when I read your book, I I, I was prompted somehow to uh, focus on the the aspect of the perpendicular line that goes below the horizontal, which. In which was immediately inter- which I immediately interpreted as um, that which is going within.
3: Now, this is interesting because you see th- this line, this perpendicular line, <clears throat> is not uh, is not actually a line as the the horizontal line, right? It is, and and Uspensky is very clear about this in in uh, the the model of the new universe he says that uh, this seemingly line is curved and it, it is a circle. Mm. And that's the fifth dimension. And when that fifth dimension being a, a, a kind of a square, if you like, uh, when that is turned into a cube in what he referred to as the sixth dimension, that's where the escape of recurrence is, is possible.
2: Right.
3: So these complicated matters <laughs> <laughs> uh, without saying quite a lot pre- pre- preparatory, bringing preparatory material into this is difficult things to talk about. But... Um, the 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 recur the, the interesting thing and it's quite obvious in, in search of the miraculous that when uh, when Uspensky asked Gurdjieff about this um, um, he from his answers he he concluded that it was, that he was more sure that it was something in this idea of recurrence than before he asked, before the answers that Gurdjieff gave. Of course, one of the the, the answers he gave was uh, typically for, for uh, if one can say anything, was typically for for Gurdjieff. He says, is it like this, uh, Uspensky wondered, is it something like this? And Gurdjieff said, um well, something like that, but not, not exactly about recurrence.
2: Right. Uh,
3: so, um, it's, uh, Spensky was very clear, and so was uh, Maurice Nicole, who had no difficulties with dealing with these ideas, that it was not a part of the Gurdjieff teaching, but it didn't go against the teaching. Rodney Collins saw it as an um, enlargement, a renew, uh, yeah. enlargement, yes. Mm-hmm. So in, that, in, in the sixth dimension, everything that we do, are doing, and have done, it's, it is all there. This is within what Usbensky refers to as the cube of the sixth dimension. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked um, Maurice Nicole on occasion about um, they spoke about recurrence and this man said that this moment have already gone. And then Maurice Nicole said gone where
1: Uh, a a difficult question to answer yes. it is a
3: very difficult question to deal with without saying a lot of other things on beforehand yes right but the the one thing for sure it is impossible to understand if you if we if we rely on the thinking which is linear
0: right Yeah. Well, one one, um, element of a new beginning or a reconstruction that struck me in your narrative of uh, Rodney Collins' life is in the work that he, you know, ultimately he and his wife and community relocated to Mexico and began uh, work there, and it felt to me that what was coming to the fore there was uh, much more at the valence of the emotional center than the intellectual center uh, from the, the previous chapter of work. And uh, do you agree with that reading? Because it, 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 And it seems like Colin would explain that because in a different culture, uh, he's responding to a different cultural need. But this one on so far is for him to convert to Catholicism. And so it's, it seems like there's a flavor of a deeper appreciation, of, of a foregrounding of mystery, a foregrounding of the heart, in a way that the fourth way is often critiqued as having an absence of. So I'm wondering if you could speak about that.
3: Well, yes, I, I understand uh, that that you look at it like that, and obviously it can be seen as as he was sort of um, uh, leaning more to uh, one side than to uh, the intellectual, to the emotional side. But I think that <clears throat> that. Um, It was a little... I look at it as it was a little different. Because um, he he not only raised the the level of his emotions, but uh, it was uh, a completely different level of being, which also... uh, was able to 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 look at the world and the cosmos from a uh, from a perspective that definitely needed more than an ordinary mind so with a with a race with that kind of raised level of being it would uh, include um, the emotions and uh, his intellect and also that the practical work would take on um, uh, the same kind of dimension he was very concerned about looking after the needs of others um, And the true needs of himself. Um, So I think that this, um, (laughs) that it was uh, kind of a loop-sided emotional uh, project going on there. I I understand that it can be easily seen in that perspective, but I think that that if you look into what this man had been thinking. Uh, and how he was thinking uh, m- m- uh, and the way he was practicing daily work all the the emotions and the mind and the practical way of dealing with life came together on a very high level
1: well well, let me then um follow up on that um Because it seems to me that, um, you know, in Buddhism, compassion is understood to compassion and wisdom are in many formulations understood to be what we what we might call higher emotions, higher mind, higher heart.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And and what I'm hearing you say just a moment ago could be interpreted as being a demonstration of, of uh, or in Colin's life of a manifestation that was produced by this change of being. Uh, and, um, and that's why um, this focus on, on compassion would emerge. Is that a, is that a fair restatement of what you were saying? Absolutely yes,
3: I, I, I uh, absolutely agree. But you see, when when you look at a person like that uh, from outside, like uh, Carrington, the, the painter, the Carrington, uh, she she thought that um, this was a man that people easily could uh, take advantage of.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: George told me also that, that he he was sort of stretching, and when uh, when people needed something, he was always ready to help and support them. And on one occasion, she won. She told him that, don't you need to rest or something like that. <laughs> and his answer was, one has to do what one can. So he, he was just going on, you know. So he was... Uh, Probably living uh, a life of uh, super effort.
0: Oh well, I, and I want to be clear that uh, my lead into this question wasn't coming from a place of seeing him as lopsided emotionally, uh, and in fact, I think, uh, and you sort of spoke to that—that that that's that was a common critique of him. Uh, later, and I I think my my sense is more like what Rob was describing, is that a kind of compassion and poignancy emerged, uh, even in his, even at, you know, in the last trip of his life, you know, to Cusco, you know, the, his wanting to help this little boy, you know, that was an orphan, a street orphan, Modesto, uh, was a a poignant uh, outpouring of the heart, and I think the maybe the way another way I would understand that and understand that kind of radical compassion is that it comes from a place where you don't see separation or you see beyond separation and and the and that's and that's and the critiques of him, you know, oh people can take advantage of him are coming from this place where you're enmeshed in, in separation and you have this sort of cause and effect universe. It's sort of built out intellectually, but, but it keeps it, it blocks off a free flow of being in the way that Colin was demonstrating where he he was demonstrating more of an outpouring of the heart and that is a radical change of being.
3: Yes, I absolutely agree. But uh, these uh, differentiations into intellectual and emotional and practical and so on, at a certain point, when you do the right thing in the, to example, in the outer world, if you do the right thing in the outer world from the right reason, all these separations of intellectual and emotional is just uh, words. You, you cannot do the right thing in from the right r- reason uh, um, if you are not thinking right. You know? So it, it all comes together, and you need an intellect to split them up. it's a part of the intellectual function to split them up, and, but right. at a certain point, it's, it's meaningless, you know. Yeah.
0: Well, there's a um, a way we, we've heard it said uh, from teachers and other traditions, but it seems to speak to in part how a uh, work like The Theory of Celestial Influence could come to be, where one can attain to a level of being where the impulse to transmit a certain kind of energy will come through our intellectual centers. And if our intellectual centers are sufficiently cultivated, we have all sorts of sets of ideas and things like that. But the magnetism of that impulse comes through and organizes those ideas. Experientially, it's as though we're being... We're, we're an antenna and we're receiving a uh, 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 a communication from another realm, uh, but because the organization seems to happen of itself, there isn't the kind of effort that we associate with thinking hard about a problem because something higher is moving through us. And it seems like that is another way in which, you know, being beyond the conventional effort-filled intellectual realm that we often inhabit yes. was being demonstrated in uh, the work that Colin was doing
3: yes and this is also an aspect of why he focused so much on harmony yeah you know, this um, not only harmony of the centers but uh, harmony uh, among people and, and groups and groups which takes uh, lineages which takes a, a, a little a, another form he was very concerned that there should be a, a an an open door for uh, example between groups but that they that that didn't mean that they should conform and be one thing. He thought that different groups within in larger harmony would do different work which was needed. Mm -hmm. So um, this has to do with with harmony so much.
0: In some respects it recapitulates the uh, celestial theory of the functioning of a solar system and the functioning of the endocrine system that the groups yep. group, groups can function in harmony in service of a larger composite being that and each group will have a function that may be distinct from but in relationship to the other groups
3: yes absolutely yeah. I think it was Mrs. Stagely who once said that uh, that she regarded Gurdjieff as the trunk and the different branches of a tree uh, as a part of a, a unity of a tree. And if the tree didn't have um, different branches, it would be loopsided.
0: mm but you know, you you also that that reminds me of a quote you have of Colin in the book, and again a something of a radical interpretation of uh, in terms of a common narrative about the fourth way, and that is that Colin viewed Gurdjieff and Ouspensky as more like two poles of a necessary unity that they, they represented an expression of the teaching in very different forms and with very different emphasis. And yet one was not superior to the other. They coexisted as an expression of a teaching that was coming from a place beyond the uh, personalities of the vessels with which that teaching was expressed.
3: Yes, yes and and this is so different from many of the views which has been expressed um, in in certain circles that um, um, this view of Rodney Collin who who sees sees this in in the perspective of the law of tree you know he never gave up uh, looking at uh, the lawfulness is in in action. So this is just a manifestation of the law tree. When the teaching with this kind of power was to be launched in this form into the world, of course the law tree operates. And uh, the, the polarization between um, Uspensky and Girdia, uh From my perspective, this kind of polarization and these discussions about that is a manifestation of of uh, the, the the fourth triad of of the triad of, of corruption.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That that, that, and that was interesting. That that description about. Uh, that triad and the and the function of corruption because it, it speaks to many a challenge we have in our particular epic.
3: Yeah. You, so in that in that particular triad, the 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 active form the the, the active to form, and where is life? It has been parked in a passive position, as if. The, the main thing about this work is not the source of the force which is coming through the forms of of
2: liefen
3: uh, Liefen-Ospensky. And of course, in that <clears> tribe, <throat> life is parked in a passive position. You will have that kind of matter which manifests like... Uh, Gossip, uncertainty, polarization, and all the rest of it. Where is the harmony? That's my question. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that's one of the things uh, that we try to do, and and this uh, with this podcast because we're talking to people from very different perspectives, and um, and I mean one one metaphor that that. That I've appreciated about that sort of thing is being able to hold many, m- multiple perspectives coexisting separately. Because, you know, as, you know, Gurja's famous saying about uh, the time, the place, and the people differing, and the form of the teaching has to differ to take into account the differing natures. Of, in this case, the people um, is another another way to express why um, Colin was an Aspensky student, not a Gurdjieff student. It's reason. I think it's reasonable to ask: Would would Colin have uh, had the results that he had? Had he first gone to Gurdjieff, people are different, and and I think that 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 um, you know acknowledgement of that is 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 a primary place. That's where that's where I think we have to start um, when we because it's very easy to use our intellectual apparatus to judge what other people are up to and um and to god knows i've you know my mind has done that all my all my life and um it's the um release of that that allows for something the expansion that you were just talking about uh, colin advocating so for example um you know i was brought up roman catholic and Colin came to it later in his life, to Catholicism. It's, an, it's, it's a totally different way and experience of um, making that kind of decision. But he didn't do it before he moved to Mexico, right? No. And, I, and, I, and I can't help but wonder if that context was not one in which harmony, as he saw it in practice, in the context where he was living, was a way to um, uh, or harmony. With, uh, choosing Catholicism would, would be a way to harmonize with the context in which he was um, doing his work and with the people, or many of the people at least, with, with whom he was
0: working. Hmm.
3: Well, of course, he had been leaning towards Catholicism for a long time. But right. uh, I agree maybe being there together with the, the, the people of that country was the, the the final push in a way. Yes,
2: absolutely. Right.
3: Can I just, I, I, I think it's important, at least for me to point out that when we speak about that triad, the fourth triad, you know, formed Form life matter and, and that um, often called crime, and uh, um, it is important not to have a negative attitude towards that that um, trial. Because it's 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 an absolutely necessity. It's a,
2: mm-hmm. and you,
3: when you raised your hands and you you said, that, "Can I hold many different things at the same time?" Mm-hmm. This came to me because, it, it, and Rodney Collin is very clear about this: that within any cosmos, there has to be all the triads. You know, like uh, the the triad of of uh, the crime and corruption, it has to be there. Um, so so it's a it's a part of any cosmos. So one should make sure that one doesn't start any kind of polarizing and. Mm-hmm looking at it with some kind of subjective negativity towards it.
0: Yeah. I totally agree. But we we we're getting um, we have a few minutes left uh in our uh, time today. Uh I wanted to very briefly just speak to Colin's death in Cusco because you 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 made a comment before that uh there seems to be an impression that, that he he jumped out of a church tower, and that uh, and I was wondering if you could just speak briefly to how you see that uh, that that last minute, because he died fairly young in, in an upswing of his work, and yet all accounts seem to show that he greeted his death also with open arms.
3: Yeah, it's really a strange thing because uh, uh, and his wife was uh, obviously puzzled by this, that before they went to Cusco, he was very upset that that this and that has to be organized. Everything had to be uh, in right order. And uh, she asked him if why? And is there anything particular going on with this trip? And I said, I don't know. But there, there is something important going to happen on this trip. But I don't know yet what it is. But everything has to be in order before they left Mexico. Mm. And on the way on the plane, uh, uh The the plane had no pressure chamber, so they had to have oxygen. And at one moment, she turned back because Rodney was sitting behind her. And and Janet recognized that he had... um, Dropped, fallen asleep and dropped this oxygen out of his mouth. And she didn't recognize, realize how long it has been going on. Anyway, she put it back in his mouth. And when he woke up uh, and kid, they came to the hotel, they went to rest because of the height difference. And uh, he was very st- with medicine rarely took any kinds of medicine. But on this trip, she was sort of surprised that he, he took, I think it was some ketamine or something that he was taking for the pressure, hmm. the, the height sicknesses. But she was surprised. And he had obviously uh, also before had uh, had problems with his heart now, when he was visiting this boy who lived up in the tower, um, he, um, before he fell, this boy was uh, later interviewed by the police and he said that he, he suddenly stood up with a gas and that he hit his head on a beam was that was up in the roof there somewhere. And after that, he fell forward and fell off the tower. And uh, all this points into this, uh, that uh, he was not well and that he had this heart attack.
2: Yeah.
3: He was standing on his toes on the edge of... Uh, the tower and considering trolling him, so he stood up with a gasp as this this boy said, as as if he could not have air, and then hit his head, and then he fell forward, yes.
0: And it was it, the stories of his expression. Of uh, uh, and his face on his face, uh, when he was found was and yeah. his arms, uh, someone fa- said, I don't know if this is true or not, but someone reported his arms outstretched as though he were on a cross. Um, yes,
3: and and not only that, but but there was this taxi driver passing the 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 in the street there or the patio or what. And he was looking up in order to check his wristwatch if that was going right. So he's looking up at the watch, and what he saw it was a man, and it, it looked like a cross who fell down. And the same was reported by a, a woman who was there also. And I'm I'm sure that the, this is right because I have the the original letter. That um, that Janet wrote to Joyce mm. about this uh, and what was taking place um, um, before and and after
2: mm.
3: and the funeral and everything. So I have this in in, in written form from Janet, his wife.
0: Got it. Well. I wanted to get that in just to complete the narrative of um, Rodney Collins' arc in his life. And we just have a couple of minutes left. So I want to return just to the acknowledge a number of things about uh, this book, Rodney Collins, a, a man who wished to do something with his life. One thing I'll say personally is that um, I appreciated it because it freed me from a lazy kind of uh, acceptance of narrative in and around both Uspinsky, Rodney Collin, Gurdjieff, and the entire, you know, historical uh, story of, of uh, the fourth way. And to realize that, you know, the, it's not necessary to draw conclusions uh, as you said earlier it's better to sit and understand and just allow allow these impressions to be received and to appreciate them and i think I, I think the book is a remarkable contribution in that in that sense we didn't have time to go too deep into the last part of the book which is a fairly detailed summary of the theory of celestial influence but you do go into trying to account for some of the idea structure and the grandeur of the vision that uh, uh, Colin unfolded. And for our listeners who were hearing us talking about triads, a lot of the discussion of triads uh, uh, is elaborated in that book about the fundamental triads that... Um, uh, go into any sort of uh, collection of processes within a, a cosmos so I want to just acknowledge and appreciate that the uh, uh, I think this book is a, a remarkable contribution in the literature of the fourth way and unexpected uh, it's an unexpected work and I think that that's in that's, uh, 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 these days that's quite an achievement because there's so much has been written about the work this is truly something uh, new and I'll just say that
1: that I was very um I mean I would agree with what, what Stuart just was said, but but um also the uh, the description of the power of the connection of Colin to Ospensky and and the way that unfolded um was was unexpected as well and and Uh, very touching to me and resonated with my own personal experience of the passing of my teacher. So it, it had a, it, um, it created in in me an opening that was not present before. And I always appreciate when people offer that to me. So, um, so I hope other people uh, listening to this podcast will um, explore your work, and um, find something for themselves to appreciate. So thank you so much for joining us yeah, today on this con- in this conversation. It's been, uh, it's been wonderful,
0: and uh, we heartily recommend the book.
3: Thank you for the invitation.
0: You have been listening to The Mystical Positivist. This is your host, Stuart Goodnick. This week on the show, we featured a pre-recorded conversation with Terry Atona, author of the newly published book Rodney Collin, a man who wished to do something with his life, from Carnet Press. Rodney Collin, a key figure in the history of esoteric thought and the fourth-way tradition, is best known for his seminal works, The Theory of Celestial Influence, and The Theory of Eternal Life. This groundbreaking biography provides a wealth of information, including Collins's close relationship to Peter Ouspensky, and a detailed account of the events leading up to Ouspensky's death. The book goes on to describe the years that followed for Colin, his group activities in Mexico, his search for historical traces of the work, and his mysterious death in Cusco, Peru at the young age of 47. Thank you for joining us once again for The Mystical Positivist. Podcasts of all our shows can be found at www.mysticalpositivist.blogspot.com as well as commentary and discussion of topics of interest to the show. Also, please send comments and feedback to mysticalpositivist at gmail.com and join us again next Saturday.